Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. We're in the middle, right in the middle of this series called The Cross. And uh, we were looking at the cross through the Father's view. And that the Father saw you. And he, when, he, when he created you, the cross was just a moment. A moment of victory, a transition point in his master plan because he's the master strategist. And it was not an accident. It was on purpose. He had it all purpose and set out. It wasn't plan B. It was plan A. And he had it all laid out from the beginning. And one of the big things that the time from the fall to the cross gives you and I is this understanding and true experience of loss, grief, suffering. And it's the one thing that Adam and Eve did not have in the garden, and we needed, in the free will choice to love God and for love to mean something in eternity, we had to possess suffering and loss. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? God planned it all because he knew for us, for love to be real, we needed to experience what life without him would be, or we'd always be like Adam and Eve looking at that tree going, oh man, maybe I should do it, right? Then Pastor Rick preached a powerful message about the cross, about Jesus' perspective through the cross or from the cross. And this is one of the things I was thinking about, of course, is he was going to the cross, he was seeing through the pain, the suffering, and he was looking at you and I and his brothers and sisters that he would redeem. And he also, when he was hanging on that cross, I believe this, he was up hanging on the cross, looking down from the cross, no longer looking through it, but on it. And he saw you. He saw your face. He knew your name. And he thought, this is worth it. You're worth it. How cool is that? Perspective through the cross and from the cross. Today we're going to talk about Satan's view of the cross. We're just kind of walking around this thing. And we're going to look at it from all kinds of different perspectives. But the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. So it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Come on. Understanding the cross is paramount. It is crucial. When we begin to understand it, everything is wrapped up in it. Pastor Dick Benjamin, who was the founder of this church, uh, he preached this message that we turned into a series called The Five Views of the Cross. He preached it in the late 70s. And he said this, and we're just redigging that well, felt led to do that. He says this, he says, it is my desire to get God's view of the cross. It's my desire to get the Bible's view of the cross. And I want not only to view the cross properly, but to live my whole life accordingly. I want some of that too. But you know, Satan had a perspective. Satan is a being. He's a created being. God created him. He's, an, he's a, what we call a fallen angel. He was an angel that God created. His name was Lucifer, and he was in charge of worship in heaven. That's what we understand from what the Bible's small glimpse into him. Uh, but he tried to take over God, and he can, convinced a third of the angels to kind of go with him. And um, they encountered the real power of God, and they got the left foot of fellowship from heaven. What's they call it? The right hand of fellowships when you bring someone in, right? So left foot of fellowships when you kick them out. If you're wondering, that's what that means. 
All right. <laughs> and they get cast out. And, uh, you know, what God lets the devil loose, lets him loose in the garden, and he's able to tempt Adam and Eve. But he's a being that has limits, and he has a perspective. He was a created being. Um, one of the limits that Satan has is he is not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. Clearly, he thought he could take God on. And he didn't know God was way more powerful than him. He actually thought in his pea brain or something that he was going to win somehow. And then he got thumped, right? So he doesn't know everything. Uh, and he wouldn't, if he did know everything, he wouldn't have taken Jesus to the cross or participated in that behavior. See, 1 Corinthians uh, 2.8 says this, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, if Satan knew what was going on, he wouldn't have done it. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. God had a plan, a plan of love for you and I, and no one else knew what it was. Satan didn't know what it was. The disciples, he tried to tell them, and they still couldn't understand. They didn't even get it. And he was explaining it to them, and they still couldn't get what he was really doing. And so Satan... He's, he is not the master strategist, okay? He has some simple, sinful ways about himself that he is just always trying to do. He is not unlimited power, and he cannot be everywhere at one time. He can be in one place at one time. So when you're like, oh my gosh, I, feel, I just feel oppressed by the devil, probably not. Unless you're doing something really important, or he's super bored and just like, I'm just gonna pick on this guy today, you know? That's cool. But it might be one of the fallen angels. There's, I don't know how many, right? I don't know. I never counted them. <laughs> so weird. Okay. The devil can only be in one place at one time. And he was at this place. When Jesus comes into the scene, it's this crazy time. Jesus comes in. He sees Jesus. He's like, what the heck? I know you. Okay, when Jesus comes on the scene and he's born fully God, fully man, the devil goes, wait a second, I know you. I know you. And he remembers what Jesus said to him, what God said to him in the garden. See, when he tempts Adam and Eve and they fall, and he, he actually gets something in that space. He took authority, he had power of hell and death, and he got some stuff. He got keys, he got some authority, and he got to rule this world. Kind of a wild deal. And he did. It was a mess. But what happens in the garden, when this exchange happens, he steals something from Adam and Eve, the authority that God had given them, and he takes it away. <clears throat> Jesus makes him a promise, or God makes him a promise. He goes, look, this is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put you down on the ground, and I know you got some things right now, but I want you to know I'm going to put you on the ground, and I'm going to step on your head. You're going to bruise my heel, okay, but I'm going to crush your head. <laughs> I, I believe he laughed at him like that. <laughs> you think you won. 
He goes, I'm making you a promise. So when Jesus shows up, the devil, listen, when God himself makes a promise like that to you, that's hard to get out of your mind. You know what I'm saying? So when Jesus shows up, the devil starts to freak out. He starts to freak out. And he starts to fire all his guns, all his weapons at him. First, he starts with Herod, and he sends all the people out to try to kill every baby. When the prophecy, when they saw the signs of the prophecy coming, that the Messiah would come, he just goes, let's wipe all the babies out and try to get him. And God hides him and protects him. Not his time. Son of God showed up. Then he starts roaming around and preaching and teaching. And the devil, you see this? Not one devil was ever cast out before Jesus showed up. So in the time when that devil was reigning, he was just wreaking havoc. People got possessed by the devil. There was all kinds of pagan worship and demonic things going on all over the place. And, and, and not one devil had ever been cast out till Jesus shows up. Then Jesus shows up and the devils start like, we know you. Uh, you don't send us, don't, don't send us to where we know we're supposed to go, where you promised that we were gonna go. He's like, can we go in some pigs? Going in a pig was better than the other option, apparently. And he starts rattling. And he sends devils after him. He, he, he gets and influences leaders and religious leaders of people. They try to push him off a cliff. They try to stone him. He just walks right through them. Couldn't touch him. He even gets to Peter, and, and Jesus says to Peter, he goes, Peter, check, check, the devil wants to sift you like wheat. <laughs> You're like, that's not good. <laughs> He's all like, I'm not a smart man. I've just been a fisherman my whole life. But that doesn't sound awesome. <laughs> He's like, I'm a, he's going to sift you like, but you're going to make it. Like, you're going to get through this, and, and I'm going to sustain you, you're gonna, and then you're going to rebuild. You're going to be the rock. You're going to build my church, right? And, and the devil tries to use his closest allies. And one of the wild things that happens is he actually uses Judas, one of his disciples. And he, it, the Bible says at the Last Supper, at the betrayal, of Jesus, the Last Supper, they're taking communion. And Jesus is giving his final words. He washes their feet and they're taking communion. And he says this, he's, in John 13, 27, this is what happens. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. And in Luke 22, three, it says, Satan himself filled Judas's heart. You're like, that's not a good day. <laughs> Satan was at the Last Supper. Taking communion. <laughs> him, he himself. That was important enough for him to be on assignment. He's like, I better be here because I know that Jesus, that son of God, is trying to wreck my plans. What's he doing? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. And he's just trying to react to everything he thinks God's doing. And he like tries this and he tries that. He tries this and he shows up at the Last Supper. And he's like, man, I'm gonna bring it here and I'm gonna get this Judas and I'm gonna possess him. That's what I'm doing. And I'm gonna take this God out. I, he believed, he had to have believed that if he took out Jesus, he somehow would dismantle some of God's power and be able to get more, you know, and take another piece and, and somehow get his ultimate victory. And so when he was pressing forward, he, 
didn't see the cross as if it was God's plan. He saw the cross as if it was his plan. Working through Judas and then the Pharisees, and he's using all of them and influencing them to try to get G to kill Jesus. He'd been trying to kill him from the beginning. He thought if I could kill this son of God, see, at this moment, when he was leading Jesus or trying to lead and lead this Jesus to the cross or to death, he's just trying to lead him to death, to kill him. He felt it was his greatest hour. You know, one of the crazy things that happens is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas had already gone and he's coming back and Pastor Rick was talking about this in his message last week. And he's like, Jesus is like done praying and the, the, the group of people are coming to arrest him. And Jesus, they go, we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth. And he looks at them and he goes, I am. And they all, the power of God hits them all and they fall all out. You imagine getting up from that, you're like going, uh, maybe we should just go home tonight. <laughs> this might not be the best idea. And then Jesus, Jesus says he led them out of there. <laughs> he goes, let's go. He led himself to that space. I think the devil might have been like, well, that was easier than I thought it was going to be. That's probably one point where he's like, well, maybe this isn't what I should be doing. <laughs> Why would the Son of God say yes? He's like, what's going to happen? He's just reacting all the time. But then he's just a sinner, that devil. He can't help himself. And so he just kept going on right with it. And when he saw Jesus up on the cross, he felt, and he was crucified, he felt like he had one. Luke twenty two fifty three says, every day I was with you, Jesus is talking to them in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. And he just kind of like, it's like he just stepped back and let the devil just have his way and do what he does best is kill, steal, and destroy. All the time setting him up for his greatest defeat. On the cross, the devil thought best day ever. I got him right where I want him. He's right in my hands. I've done it. I wonder what I can do next, right? I'm taking out the son of God. He is dead. But what happens on the cross is this amazing thing. Jesus on the cross, there's two guys next to him. One guy's mocking him, the other guy's a thief. And he says to Jesus, you know, he's like, hey, I don't think that that's a good idea for you to be mocking this guy. He's not like us. He doesn't deserve to be here. And he, he knew something in his heart. I think this guy might be the son of God. He had to have been thinking that. Jesus kind of goes, you know, you believe in me? And he's all like, yeah. It's like, awesome. Watch this. Check this out. You're going to get a ticket to paradise, right? And then he gives up. He goes, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he gives up his spirit. And then the sky goes dark. The world, the whole earth starts to shake, man. Earthquakes. Dude, the, the veil in the temple tears in half. It just goes nuts. Everything's going crazy. Roman soldier there goes like, uh, yeah, pretty sure that's the son of God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Power shift. This major power shift starts to happen right then, where now the devil, he's starting to get a different view. 
his perspective starts to change. He's like, oh, wait a second. Maybe not best day ever. Maybe I just fell right into God's hands. See, he's the master strategist. From the beginning, this thing was rigged. He rigged it. He set up from the beginning. It's ne- it was never like it wasn't going to happen. He knew exactly that the devil was so sinful, he would just do everything if he let him. If he just left it open, the devil would do it. In 1 John 3, 8, it says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. So if you're doing what's sinful, you're following the devil's plan because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And it's why the, the, the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work. The devil just sins and sins and sins. He just can't help it. It's his nature, and God knew that, and he just kind of knew if he just gave the opportunities and opened up the doors, the devil would just walk right in. But this is what's crazy, is that Jesus picked the devil to be on his kickball team. You know, he's like picking, I'll take John, I'll take you, Peter, Matthias, you're cool, right, Bartholomew, Sons of Thunder, and he's like, and then, you know, the devil. <laughs> You'll be great on my team. God got a purpose for you. It's crazy. Jesus is not afraid. God's not afraid of the devil. He's like not afraid of the devil. He knows exactly how powerful the devil is, and he knows how powerful he is, and he knows the devil's limitations because he created him, and he knows what he's going to do, and that he has it all planned out, so he's not scared at all. He's not scared to put the devil on his kickball team. So amazing. You know, John 6, 70 says, Jesus replied, I have, not, have I not chosen you, the 12? And he's talking to Judas, and he goes, and one of you is a devil? Isn't that amazing? He just tells him right there, he goes, I brought you in, you're a devil. You're going to be on my team. I got a purpose here. He just knew Satan would fall for it all, and he knew that he would get it done the way he wanted. You know, if you're confused about whether or not God can, uh, it, it, you know, get what he wants when he really wants to, listen, when you, when you get to heaven, I want you to ask Jonah what he thinks about it. Okay? <laughs> you just go, yo, Jonah, tell me about it. And God just goes, oh, yeah, dude, listen. If he really wants to do it, he'll just take you in a whale for three days. I'm telling you, you're in a whale for three days. You're coming out doing whatever he says. I promise. It's gross in there. I'm thinking, I don't know what he's going to stick me in next, so I'm just going to do this. <laughs> right? But even the devil, even in the devil's sin, he just mapped it all out. But this is a crazy thing. Hebrews 2.14, since the children uh, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Revelation 1.18, I am the living one, Jesus says, I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Look, he came in, he took the keys from the devil of death and Hades, and he sets all the captives free. 
He just goes in and he releases everybody out of prison. Colossians 2.15, and I have disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So this is what happens is that Jesus, when, when he gives up his spirit, he's like talking to the guy, he goes, check this out. Two tickets to paradise, only him and the other guy, right, that time. He's like, watch what's about to happen. It all shakes. He pops down in hell. Devil's like, what? You were just, uh, uh. And he goes into the enemy's camp, and he goes, hey, look at this. I'm taking something back from you. Woo! Guess what? I, now, you know what he does? He triumphs over the devil. And this word triumph, and it says he makes a public spectacle, and he triumphs over him. This is an awesome thing. So in the time of the Roman Empire, when they triumphed over someone, it was a known thing. They did it for a thousand stinking years, okay? So they were just, just demolishing one culture after another, one tribe or city or nation, and then they would take the generals from that nation and all the important stuff and all the spoils, and they would take the authority that they had, right? They would take it all from them, and they'd get in their chariot, and they'd dress in all their awesome stuff, and then they'd do this huge triumphant procession, like a giant parade, beat the drums, everything, and everybody partying, just totally praise that general, almost as if he was a god just down the streets of Rome. And the guys that were their prisoners, they would like strip them buck naked or whatever and drag them along behind in total shame and humiliation. Whoever they had triumphed over. And they'd drag them all through Rome, all down the streets, and they'd make a huge spectacle of it all. Jesus took the devil and he triumphed over the devil. He made a spectacle of him. He took him and all his angels and all his power and authority and he got in his chariot. He put on his white robes and he goes, let's go for a walk. I'm gonna show off what I just did to you. And he goes to hell and he releases all the captives, everyone that was there. And in this big, huge, triumphant procession, he triumphed over the devil and he's like, check out what I just did. You just got spanked. You just fell right into my little trap. And I win. One. He said it's finished. It's not an ongoing work. It's not this thing that he's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, we got to keep fighting. It's finished. It's over. He accomplished it. He took away the power and he stripped it from the devil. Satan thought that he had won, and he thought it was his greatest victory, but instead, at that moment, it became his greatest defeat, and instead of victory, now he has another perspective, and that perspective is his head laying on the ground underneath the boot of Jesus on his head, smashing him down, and he's looking up from underneath the boot hill of Jesus going, oh, that's what you meant in the garden. <laughs> I was going to strike your heel. Okay, that's the cross. Oh, I get it. Oh, and you're going to crush my head. Oh, great. This is not going to be awesome. Bam. How you like that, devil? And Jesus just crushes Satan's head at the cross. So you know Satan's view at the moment of the cross under the boot hill of Jesus. Right after the victory, it's his head being crushed 
by the Lord himself. And I think he sang this song to them. At that exact moment, he wrote a song for the devil. Well, I went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. I took back what he stole from me. Well, I went. you to forget it. <laughs> Good job, guys, in the back. Thank you. I recorded that real quick just before I showed up, you know. <laughs> Satan is under my feet. It's a sing that song when I was in Bible school down in the South. That is a fun experience. People in the South know how to do it right. It's pretty awesome. I had to learn that. Or I just wouldn't fit in. It's one of my favorite moves, man. <laughs> Dude, what's really great is when they start really going for it. I don't have, I didn't learn those moves yet, but. So Satan, he's on the cross. Or Jesus comes over the cross, right? He comes through. And then after the cross, Jesus is crushing his head. And instead of best day ever, he's thinking, worst day ever. Worst day ever. Come on, he was reigning, he was kicking butt and taking names, and now his head is crushed and all the authority is taken back from him and taken by Jesus. And in Matthew 28, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and now I give it to you. He took the keys of the Ferrari and he handed it to you. He said, now let's drive. Let's have some fun. Now is the time of the kingdom of God to reign on the earth. And that's you, church. That's me, church. That's no defeated devil. That's the children of God. Worst day ever. I want you to hear what Pastor Dick Benjamin said about this when he wrote and, and preached this message 
long, long, long time ago. Go ahead. You know, the Lord took on the devil at the cross. He said to those who apprehended him in the garden of Gethsemane, now is your hour and the power of darkness. Now is your hour and this is the time when darkness reigns. He took him on. And the book of Hebrews that teaches the difference between the Old Testament and the New talks about how that Jesus took upon himself flesh and blood such as we have. And it's written like this, for as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he took part of the same. That through death. Death where? Death on the cross. What does it say further? That he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. When you think of Satan, he's very, alive, very much alive, very real. And one of his greatest deceptions is to convince, he, convince you he doesn't exist. Then he really got you. But a good thing to put in front of his name is an adjective. Defeated devil. Defeated by the one that's our leader. And then you realize the fulfillment of it. Draw near to God and he'll draw nigh unto you. And, if you'd, and you resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's predicated upon the fact that Jesus took him on and defeated him and gave us the victory. And I looked this up just in, uh, a couple days ago in other translations just to be sure that we all understand this. The New American Standard says concerning Christ and his victory at the cross and the redemption and also resurrection, uh, the New American Standard says render powerless. I like that. Kind of like the old adage, he, he's going around like, you know, like a roaring lion, but he's been defanged. That's, that's not gospel, but that's kind of an illustration. Williams' translation says, put a stop to the power of him. And Beck says, take away all the powers of him. The Amplified says, bring to naught and make of no effect. And Paul said this, Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I'm not I am not going to go back and try to do that all over again. Jesus did it already, and I'm taking my stand on this side of the cross in a place of victory. I think that's important in this generation. All kinds of weird stuff being uh, promulgated about the devil and so on. I'm not going around just looking for demons under every bush. But I know for sure that the one that is our Savior and our Redeemer and stands, uh, and, and stands before God, he's seated at his right hand. Now I want to make sure I have the right posture. But there he is before God. And we can live in victory over the devil because crucifixion produced that. Amen. Come on. <clears throat> Apostle Dick Benjamin, he's the founder of our church, if you don't know. Father uh, to many, spiritually, spiritual father to so many here. And, uh, you know, one of my fathers in the Lord. And um, what a treasure. What an awesome, awesome point. Defeated devil. Defeated devil. Look, there's no power. Look, there's no power anymore. He was humiliated and stripped. What does he see when he sees the cross? When he looks back at the cross now in the rearview mirror of his life, he sees defeat, powerlessness, fear, shame. He sees hell and punishment for his crimes against humanity. He sees now that his time is short and the beginning has come. It has started. He looks there and he goes, uh, the lake of fire, that's what's next for me. 
and he wants to delay that. And it's your job, my job, to not buy into his lie that those keys are in his stuff. Keys aren't on his stuff no more. Jesus went to his closet and he said, I took back what he stole from me. Tossed him. He's under my feet, right? Under my feet. Jesus wrote that song. I know it's true. <laughs> Jesus did that. And then he gave it to you. But one of the greatest lies, I love that point that Pastor Dick makes, is that if you just believe the devil that he has the power, then you are rendered powerless. You just give up your power. So Satan has an attack strategy to delay his you know, coming appointment with hell and the lake of fire, and he wants to attack your identity. He wants to strip you of who you believe you are and the authority that God has given you. There is a spirit inside of you that's crying out to the Father God, Abba, Daddy, I belong to you. You're not an orphan. You are not alone. You are hidden in Christ. You are captivated by his love. He died for you. His blood purchased you specifically and he wants to bring you into his family. And the devil wants to wreck the church. See, his strategy is to bring division in the church and get you to hate the church, to hate leaders in the church, to hate other people and say they're all hypocrites and everybody's rude and mean. That's a lie. That is not true. I don't even know those people. I know you. And I don't think you're a bunch of hypocrites and liars. You're a bunch of people like me just trying to make it. Trying to just, just live this side of the cross and the power of God, right? Come on. And the devil wants to divide us because he knows if he divides us, the power is in the church. It's living inside of you. And you know what else he wants to do is believe that the Holy Spirit is not God. He wants to attack the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God everywhere all over, the full power and manifestation of God, living in his temple, which is you. Can you imagine how powerful that is? The devil knows how powerful that is. It's not just like, oh, I'm, I'm fighting against Jerusalem and the Jews now. Now everybody, they're everywhere. It was just the power of God in the temple and the Holy of Holies, and now the Holy of Holies is everywhere, wrecking all this stuff. You're just going through his bedroom and all his things and like, oh, I'll take that back and I'll take this back. And oh yeah, you don't want to have that anymore. We're just going from land to land, person to person. The power of the Holy Spirit is everywhere. But if you believe the devil's lie that the Holy Ghost is not alive, it's not God, or is the devil, can you believe that? The devil's stinking gets you to believe the Holy Spirit is his spirit? Don't do it. Don't fall into his trap. He wants to, God wants to cut you loose. You can't believe this deceptive stuff that the devil is doing. You've got to fall into the arms of your gracious, loving Father who has paid it all for you. The Bible says don't give the enemy a foothold in your life. When you buy into the devil's lies, you're just giving him a foothold. Don't do it. Don't give him back any perceived power. Really, all he's doing is taking it from you. He can't use it anymore because he doesn't have it. Jesus has it. And Jesus gives it to you. He only gives it to his kids. So then he takes it from you and then just sin just is allowed to happen. Don't let that happen. Buy in. Believe what God has done for you. 
if you believe the Holy Spirit was not God and you've maybe persecuted him or not allowed him to have full access, you bought into that lie, let's pray this. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't be alone. We would have your presence living in and through us all the time. Forgive us for any way and every way that we have denied your Holy Spirit, devalued you, God, the Holy Spirit, God, as less than God. Forgive us for that, Lord. We just repent, and Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives. Come on, you've never invited the Holy Spirit in. Just go ahead, lift your hands. Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. I love you today. You are my God. Indwell me. Fill me up. I need you. I need your presence. I need you to change me and fill me and make me more like you. Holy Spirit, I want every gift that you have destined for me to come my way right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we... Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.